Hey, if I could just cut in right before the episode starts, um, I want to apologize for Zach's audio quality. Um, I figured out kind of after we were done recording that I had not set up Zach's microphone correctly. So if Zach sounds kind of funny or a little bit distorted, that is why, but hopefully we have that corrected going forward. So sorry about that. Hello everyone and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. All right, everybody, welcome to episode... Oh, geez, what is this? I've even lost track of the episodes. Let's see, this is episode 16, if you can believe it, of our podcast. So again, I'm joined by Zach and Robert. Hey, guys, how are you this evening? Well, dancing in the sunshine, literally, because the time change. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. The light. <laughs> We're used to have like being pitch black outside whenever we record, and it's like <laughs> daylight. <laughs> we don't even have the light on because we can see just fine. Oh, yeah, I know this. I thought I saw something about they're going to make daylight savings permanent, or they're doing away with it, or one of the ones where we don't have to switch anymore. Don't know what I think about that or not. Um, you know, but anyway, I, I actually, you know, one of the things one time because we we talked about this at work. Um, I remember actually looking it up, and one of the reasons for daylight—I won't say it's the main reason, but at least one of the reasons out there was there was a guy who came up with daylight savings. The reason why he did is he wanted to have more time to go out and um hunt bugs <laughs> actually had bugs. to my knowledge it had absolutely nothing to do with um actual you know like farming or anything like that i think it was like the 1880s or 1890s whenever they came up with it. maybe maybe before i can't remember the exact time frame it was it was more recent than i thought it was huh at least, you know, being, like, applied across the uh, nation. Yeah, so yeah. Maybe maybe there's other people that had different reasons for it, but one of the main advocates was wanting to do more bug hunting. No relation to uh, Sigourney Weaver alien series. And I wonder, do any other... No, it's not really off, a little off topic, but I wonder if any other countries do daylight savings like we do, or if we're one of the only ones. I think we're one Always. of the only ones, but that is just speculation. I haven't heard any yeah. others having it. Yeah, so I've not actually <laughs> dug in and be like, all right, why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah. For how many people do this? Uh, <laughs> how fast my thumbs can Google this right Ooh, quick. Google, Google, <laughs> The, the wealth of human knowledge right at our fingertips on our devices. Um, that's right. According, according to the search, it says approximately 70 countries utilize it. Oh, wow. Okay. At least a portion. That includes Japan, India, China. Oh, yeah, that's, that's probably pretty common, apparently. India and China, that's like half the world's population right there. <laughs> yeah. If, if Russia's on that list, I haven't clicked on the website, but if Russia's on that list, that's pretty much everybody except your granny in Jamaica. So <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot more than what I thought would be. Yeah, and if so. by that logic, then that's like the majority. Oh, then we should just keep doing it then. Well, I mean... I mean... <laughs> But, uh, yep, so that was uh, your um, Daylight Savings Trivia uh, Corner. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> if we dive into what we're here to talk about, it's the um, top I believe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, did did uh, they celebrate or did they observe daylight savings back in Jesus? Time? No, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting thought there. <laughs> No, but just to kind of bring us back on uh, on topic, so, you know, kind of the topic of the podcast, I think we determined last episode that we were going to kind of dive more into the early church and some of the martyrs um, mm-hmm. that, that came from the early church and, and kind of uh, from that establishment. So, uh, yeah, Robert, Zach, uh, what do you have for us uh, on this one? Yeah, uh, absolutely right there. Um, just kind of giving a little bit of the background. So, obviously, you know, Jesus lived and uh, was crucified and raised from the dead. And from that, the church was born. Um, in the beginning, you had kind of like Paul, who was, or Saul, Paul, um, began to persecute Christians at that point in time it wasn't not saying that people weren't killed because Stephen uh, the first martyr was killed during that time but it was it wasn't really like um, common to kill Christians at this point you had uh, a lot of Jewish opposition and they of course you know as they the way to have Jesus crucified, he did go about uh, also stoning Stephen, and there were a number of other instances of where um, the uh, some of the disciples were killed early on. Uh, James, son of Zebedee, uh, was actually one of those examples. It kind of it doesn't talk directly about the account like it does with Stephen, but there is a, a, a note that how. Um, James was executed by Herod, and the people uh, rejoiced over it, and he planned on executing Peter. Um, So it's, like, mentioned indirectly. Um, But, you know, it's kind of like a sporadic, sporadic kind of persecution until about the time of Nero. And that is probably one of the most, I won't say the most, but one of the uh, highly, highly recognized uh, persecutors of the early Christian church was Nero and those kind of like in his administration. Um, before that, you obviously had the Jewish community who was upset with Christians, you know, talking about the Messiah and how he had to suffer and die. So there were, you know, occasional uh, martyrs through that way, but really took traction with Nero. Um, and uh, essentially the reason behind that was, uh, well, there's there's at least, I believe it's in, Robert, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Tacitus, historian, talks about how uh, Nero didn't like how Rome looked, and so he had half of it burned down, well, a lot of people didn't like that, so he was like, it wasn't me, it was the Christians. Yeah. So that's kind of like what started persecution and then uh, kind of what further furthered it along was uh, at, at, at different instances um, throughout the early years of the church, the first couple hundred years of the church, you had what was called emperor worship. What that was was basically like uh, you could have whatever God you wanted to believe in. You could believe whatever you wanted, but at the end of the day, you had to acknowledge that Caesar was Lord, that Caesar was God. Um, So he could be a God plus your other God. That was fine, but, you know, you had to show reverence to Caesar. You had to say that Caesar was Lord. You had to pay homage to him. That was something, you know... A lot of Christians in that day and time, you know, they, they followed the law up until the point where it became that, and, and that was like kind of like the line in the sand where they said, you will not worship Caesar. And that's what really 
started the persecution, so to speak, was the, the their desire to worship only Jesus and Jesus alone. Do you want to have anything to say about that, Rob, before we dive into the profiles? Yeah, I mean, just the topic of martyrdom in the early church alone inspires me, scares me, and fascinates me all at once. I mean, this is a faith, uh, not counting Judaism, but just looking at Christianity as it is, as it was established in the first century onwards, this is a faith that was born in the fire. I mean, to become a Christian at the beginning was almost a guarantee of death, uh, definitely a guarantee of the possibility, and yet people were still turning to it in scores. And of course, historians, sociologists, religiologists, they've been trying to understand why for centuries, and you know, they they can scratch the surface, but there are only so many ways they can explain it, but it never really penetrates everything. You know, why would you be willing to give up everything that you are in order to chase this that doesn't have any physical worldly benefit that, that the Caesars can see, the governors underneath Caesar could see, and yet they were willing to do this. Um, just way that it was established as opposed to uh, how many of the pagan religions that came before it were established. You have, you quite literally have two views of history. No matter what your beliefs are spiritually, if you study history, you've only got two views of time, the the, the B.C. and the A.D. And another way of saying that would be a, a pagan and Christian. That's it. That's uh Another way would be to say uh, multi-theistic versus theistic under Christ, because the entire world worshipped statues and mythological stories for so many years, and their view of heroism was entirely different. And what actually got me thinking about this is a quote from um, uh, an animated film from 2007. They did an animated version of Beowulf. And if anyone has read that or even seen the movie that I'm talking about, it's a constant tug of war between the ancient pagan mythologies and the Christian culture as it was later established by the Catholic Church. There's a quote by this version of Beowulf in the film. He's actually mourning because he was known as a great hero. And by hero, in his sense, you would think of Hercules. You would think of Zeus or Apollo, people who performed these incredible feats strength against an enemy and he's actually mourning in the last half of the film because he has become an older man the time of heroes as he knew them is over and of course what that means is that the christians have come and ruined everything they've established a church with an entirely different foundation of morals and so he actually says in the film i'm not going to claim to quote him directly but he basically says Heroes of old have been replaced by weeping martyrs. And so you have people who actually showed their devotion to the gods, plural, with physical might and strength, and now they've been replaced with their devotion to God, capital G, singular, their devotion to the God of the Jewish Bible through Christ by folding and submitting to death. Now, some people would say that's weak, and that's what Beowulf was actually getting at in the, in the film. But what that got me thinking in the opposite direction is, of course, Beowulf was fictional. If there's anything historical about Beowulf, it may have been an obscure soldier from which they got that name. Mm-hmm. There's no way that he performed even a fourth of what was said and done. No person, even at the time that Beowulf, the manuscript that we have, was written, nobody would actually say that that was ever true history. And so you have Beowulf performs incredible feats simply because the author says he does. It's much easier for a fictional character to tackle a fictional demon and fight him with his bare hands than report on a war that truly occurred. If you're going to report real history, you're stuck with whoever the winner was. So World War II has a ultimately happy ending, almost as if it were in a movie, and yet we know it was history. And so just knowing that that is how it occurred, Adolf Hitler was defeated. The United Nations was established and the world moved on. But we only report that because that's how things ended up. We didn't write a script for it. And where I'm headed with all this is you've got fictional Beowulf, then you've got very real martyrs. It's a lot more frightening and a lot more real than 
a real person's life is on the line in order to really fold and give your life for something that you're so very committed to, despite all the slander, despite all the hatred that was never really deserved by any of them in the church. These people showed a lot more heroism than any fictional character. So you have two views of history. One that excels in pushing this idea of glory, of strength, of personal um, acceleration, trying to push your own name, try to push your own glory, because people in Greece and in Rome were always pushing themselves of the way we see narcissistic athletics today. They pushed themselves in order to reflect the gods and to reflect the fictional heroes. Then you have morality flipping. Some in that culture would argue that that was weakness, but the strength of them is that they were willing to give everything up in a way that the, the, the athletes and the heroes of old couldn't do. I'm talking about the real heroes of old, uh, genuine uh, Greek and Roman men on the street who looked up to the fictional heroes, but these people gave everything to make themselves big. Christian martyrs gave so much more than them. They give literally everything in order to make themselves small for the sake of someone else. Today, in today's modern culture, regardless of your beliefs, your politics, just about anybody would applaud selflessness now as opposed to the selfishness of time before Christ came. So you have martyrs that really set the standard. I'm sure I've probably quoted this in an episode previously and hoping to save it for this episode and I couldn't resist but I'll repeat it again in case anyone didn't hear a previous episode and they skipped to this one but someone once said in an ancient book uh, one of the church fathers once said that the the, the great um, seed of the church watered by the blood of the martyrs without the martyrs and their testimony the church would have never gotten off the ground if these people had not been willing to give themselves away die without any glory the church that we know would never have just because it can be very easy for someone to come in today and um, start something you would consider a mega church. If you have music, if you have facilities and services that really draw people in, keep them. If it's a consumer culture and the consumer is satisfied, you can actually build a very massive, powerful, wealthy church. I'm watching a documentary about one now that sadly fell into disrepute but what i'm saying is you can easily do that now but you're actually going off the the foundation that was established so much or uh, so much earlier by people who gave so much more and the reason is that that this is a christianized culture you can start a mega church wanting christian uh christian quotes christian um ideas christian cliches christian language and people it up and the the martyrs didn't have that kind of leverage at all they were starting a brand new idea they were starting something that had never been done before said before people mocked them for being ridiculous which i mean people can do now but people were mocking them because they had this brand new ridiculous idea that they never expected to get off the ground so they completely ignored it other than now the people who find it ridiculous are trying to fight against tradition the reason the tradition was even there is because these people were willing to die, gave credibility to their message above and beyond anything that a, a great orator or speaker could have ever given. They paid with their very lives, and it spoke louder than any sermon. The, the first one that I would talk about tonight is um, James the Just. Um, that is uh, the half-brother of Jesus. So there's some... Uh, uh, some Catholic brothers and sisters out there who cringe at the very thought of me saying half-brother of Jesus uh, just because um, they they don't hold that view about Mary and without going into a whole bunch of details. Um, the scripture plainly says that uh, Jesus has other brothers and sisters. Um, in the beginning, uh, they didn't believe. Um post-resurrection, seeing the resurrected Lord, seeing the resurrected Jesus, that was a game-changer for James, the just. Um, he was, like I said, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, um, and in the, in the gospel accounts, 
don't see his name mentioned directly, although he's mentioned as you know, Jesus's brothers and, and sisters, and, and then also Mary later on is mentioned also. Um, but um, there was a conversion of James the Just. He did become a believer. He he saw the resurrected Lord, um, and because of that, it was a game changer for 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 him. And you know. <laughs> For someone who was a half brother of somebody to go from you know, basically mocking him to complete and total uh, worship of him was a game changer for the entire community because, you know, if Jesus didn't truly raise from the dead, then why would his half brother make such a strong commitment, such a strong? Uh, decision to move from disbelief in him being the Messiah to true belief in him being the Messiah. Um, and so much so that he believed uh, in Jesus being the uh, the Messiah. Uh, he basically, over time, over a period of years, see it in the book of Acts, talks about James. That's the James that we're talking about because James, the son of Zebedee, was killed early on in the church, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so James the Just was uh, came sort of like the elder in Jerusalem, uh, kind of like just kind of back things up a little bit and kind of explain some of the things that happened. So there was the persecution of the church by Paul. Paul then converts to Christianity, and 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 for that period of time, it's like um, it's kind of like a I guess a pause in the persecutions. And and it allowed um, seemingly as a pause in the persecutions, and it allowed some stability to come to the church. Then you had um, the diaspora, and and Robert could probably go more elaborate into that. Basically, something happened in Rome around forty-ish BC, or excuse me, forty-ish AD, roughly ballpark somewhere in there. And basically, all the Christians basically. Uh, dispersed and except for the the apostles they remained uh together in jerusalem and james uh was kind of like became the elder of that uh place in and uh israel and kind of held that position of office up until the fall of israel the fall of jerusalem um just kind of moving forward a little bit um, essentially what happened was you had Romans uh, and the uh, Jewish people were at odds numerous times. Um, and the last time happened in 70 AD when the entire city of Jerusalem uh, was destroyed. It was sacked. Uh, the temple was burnt to the ground. Um, there was gold on top of the um on top of the temple that wanted that the general Titus, I believe his name was, wanted to collect. And so he was like, no, don't burn the temple. But somebody burned it down anyways. And so then he wanted, basically had the church, or not the church, but the temple totally dis, uh, uh, trying to think of the word, uh, dismantled um, so that he could get the gold that had melted in between the cracks. So, but before that happened, and while while those events were taking place, James the Just um, was basically thrown from the top. I can't remember. Was it the top of the temple, Robert? Do you remember off the top of your head? Is that right? Was it the temple? Yeah, I think so. Okay, and basically he survived the fall. Then, because um, what uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees him off from the temple he survived and so because he survived they basically bashed his head in if they um uh um uh, i want to say a, a, a stick or mallet so here was half brother of jesus who had given you know, his life i believe it was 70 roughly 70 a.d when this happened so he was an older man at this point uh but he had significant influence um helped kind of set the stage for Gentiles being able to come to the Christian faith alone without having to become um, Jews first. That was a big 
uh, controversial move in the beginning of the church. Some people had the idea that he had become a Jewish person and then become a Christian. But Paul and Peter all saw these things take place with Gentiles without doing um, tradition, Jewish traditions. And so James the Just was kind of instrumental in saying that you don't have to become a, a Jew to then become a Christian. You can just go from being a pagan to being a Christian. And so that was a big movement forward for Christians. They weren't bogged down with um, following uh, different, um, I, not necessarily ideas, but following different traditions, following different uh, Jewish customs and laws and things like that. Robert, it's over to you, boy. No, I choose to not do that. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Fired. Fired, yes. Um, uh, yeah, picking up from one martyr to another. He's the story is similar. Uh, this man I'm about to tell the story of, but uh, he, I don't know if there's a term for it. It's someone who's very, very well known in a certain subgroup, but not very well known in general. Um, <clears throat> What I mean is you talk to someone on the street and ask them if they know a King David or King Solomon. They may have probably heard the term uh, as opposed to this man, but he's very, very well known among people who study the martyrs and love the martyrs. In fact, his last name is Martyr. He's known in history as Justin Martyr, a young man who grew up in the 100s A.D., um, he missed the apostles by that much. Uh, they they passed away right at the end and the beginning of that turn of the century. So he lived at a time uh, where the first generation after the mar the apostles were really getting their ground in. And he grew up uh, kind of a student of philosophy. He was fascinated by all the different ideas bouncing around and becoming a part of his world. He eventually, slowly comes to faith in the living God, becomes a believer, kind of the way another famous name, St. Augustine. He, he comes much later in the story, but he actually uh, was a thinker just like Justin Martyr. And he actually slowly went through a, a little circle of thought and philosophy, uh, testing out ideas, and then coming to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is Lord. Justin Martyr did it, St. Augustine did it, the famous author of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, did it, and uh, I even did it myself, which is one reason Justin Martyr appeals to me. You have a thinker who doesn't just sit around and write his entire life, he's actually known for giving his life away. But uh, the, before that comes, he actually became someone who wrote one of the very first works of apologetics that we have. And by apologetics, of course, it's someone who, or a work that intentionally tries to defend the Christian faith against some kind of false charge or some kind of objection. And some of the stuff he faced would actually make us laugh out loud today because of the accusations that were being thrown at Christians, the misunderstandings. Romans, and by that, by Romans, I mean just common non-believing people were thinking of when they heard the name Christian, it's... Almost the, the, the stuff that we've talked about before, that you can be a victim of Christianese if you're not careful. You can hear certain terms in church. You can have certain ideas bounced around in a cliche way. If you're not very careful to explain them, someone who visits your church without a church background is going to misunderstand completely. I mean, I'm going to bathe in the blood of Christ. What does that mean, you weird psycho serial killer? I've heard that before. I'm, I'm not even joking. I've heard that before. I mean, of course, you know, to think, you know, bathing in the blood of the Lamb, I mean, that is, <laughs> if you are ignorant of what that means. <laughs> That's an A24 midnight film right there. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man. But the reason I bring that up, Justin Martyr was a victim of this. His whole generation was misunderstood because the Romans were picking up small bywords and small church cliches the early Christians in Justin Martyr's time were using. They weren't getting the proper context. Now, for anyone listening out there, what does it mean when a Christian says brother and sister? Well, it simply means that you're all part of the spiritual family of God. And, of course, today we use it so much for... You know, my spiritual brother, 
you help somebody out in the parking lot and they'll just go, thanks, brother, and they'll take off. So the Christians have made those things cliches in popular culture now. Back in the time, they were brand new ideas. And so someone to say, we've been adopted into the family of God. He's our father. We are our each other, siblings to each other. Let's love each other as if we were brothers and sisters. Romans heard them saying this to each other and thought they were being literal. So Justin Martyr had to deal with a culture that actually thought, they actually thought that Christians were uh, perverts who actually uh, made love to their own brothers and sisters because they would overhear husbands and wives wow. using those terms with each other. Now, let's, let's keep this in perspective because no. Rome... That was a very, I mean, <laughs> think that that was like, you know, like that that was their first game of thought. Isn't that out, outlandish? Because they were a culture that was like debauched. And I mean, I don't know if anyone's like seen any of the specials or the frescoes, you know, like how open with sex they were. Like they'd have depictions of, so people having intercourse, things like that. Like it was a very um, raunchy world, and so for them, the, it, it's kind of like telling of their ideas in that very thing right there. Very. Um, just the culture that Christianity helped to turn around, and just the fact that it made such an influence in the end, and. Zach said the early days still saw those raunchy left raunchy leftovers from the ancient world and so that was the way they processed everything and they thought oh okay these people are you know ma literally marrying their own siblings and having bizarre ch uh having incest children so Justin Martyr had to deal with charges of incest another charge levered at Christians Another misunderstanding, and this would make anybody laugh out loud, but they were actually being accused of being atheists. Romans were actually saying that these Christians are atheists because they didn't understand the idea of just one God well enough. They thought that the Christians were denying the existence of gods, plural, in general, because they refused to bow down to Caesar, as Zach said before. They were refused to adopt the great pantheon of gods that were serving the Romans. And so people would hear that side of the argument and assume that they accepted no gods whatsoever. So the idea started to propagate that these people must be atheists. They don't have any belief in God and or any kind of God, little g. That can be very dangerous in a world completely held together by their polytheism. So <clears throat> that's one charge that Martin Luther had. Martin <laughs> Luther, <laughs> Justin That's Martyr. That's a couple of generations. Like, <laughs> Freudian flip. Uh, <laughs> that's one charge that Justin Martyr had to deal with was charge of bizarre, ironic charge of atheism. So he had to deal with charges of incest, atheism, and finally he actually had to deal with rumors that the Christians were cannibals. Hmm. Cannibals. They, uh, yeah, they they picked up just a little bit of theology about. And I mean, literally what we just joked about, bathing in the blood, eating the body of Christ. Romans would pick these things up out of context and assume that these Christians were meeting in the woods, having incest, relation, incest relations, eating children. That was, that was the way they interpreted this. That, oh, they're bathing in the blood, these sickos. What's ironic is the Romans, and I'll throw this out there, the Romans saw the ancient Christians the way the medieval Christians saw pagans. So you see that role reversal. You have the idea of, you know, from the 1600s, 1700s, the idea of the witch. These people go out in the woods and they have bizarre, perverse practices and they they slaughter children and they summon the devil himself and they they swear allegiance to him. Romans were saying the same things about ancient Christians when they first got started. And this is what Justin Martyr had to deal with. So he writes this first apology um, trying to defend the faith against all of these accusations. Not incest, not cannibals. We're definitely not atheists. Here's why. Here's how you've misunderstood our terms. These are what the terms mean. This is what it points to. This is a way for me to rephrase it in a way you will understand. This is the faith. And it only had limited success. In the end, it was captured, 
he was executed underneath one of the Roman emperors. And it's easy to hear about these productive Christian lives in the early church and kind of forget that their lives intersect the time of persecution. Because we have ideas about people writing the books and circulating the books after the persecution is over. Justin Martyr didn't have that luxury. So in the end, he gave his life, and his last name became synonymous the idea of someone who gives their life away. And so that is the, in, an, in a nutshell, that's the story of Justin Martyr, but it goes so much deeper and much more richer if you're willing to pick up a biography or do a search of him online. But his, his story speaks, honestly, I think, I would argue, his story probably still speaks to us today, precisely because he gave his life for the faith. And I'd even be so bold as to say that maybe, just maybe, it was God's intention to begin with for him to give his life so that his writing would be preserved. Without it, it may well have passed on, like many other parchments of the time. But because he became known as Justin Martyr, the great giver of his life, they were willing to preserve the things that he wrote. It may have been the thing that made his life so significant in the long run and it could have been providential do you think that um the roman empire or some of these um persecutors of the christian faith do you think they were thinking about the potential for these people to become martyrs at the time or do you think they were weighing the pros and cons of are they are they more dangerous to our way of life, dead or left alive? Or do you think that was something that just kind of came, uh, their martyrdom and the way it kind of galvanized the rest of the church? Uh, do you think that was something that kind of unexpectedly came from it? I think, um, I think, the the early Romans they didn't even know how to wrap their head around what was going on. Yeah, um, yeah. I think. Oh, and and also at this point in time, I mean, and there's a lot kind of like what Robert talked about. There's a lot of people that kind of like kind of look at the beliefs of the time period of the time about the of the New Testament how people were just so maybe uh, I don't want to say hungry but maybe maybe that is an accurate word of use there that there were some people who were so tired of of the religiosity the Roman way of life and of Jewish uh, following the law when Jesus came and he spoke with authority, that it just captivated the audiences and 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 in in such a way that mm-hmm. you know a simple person could get it, while well as some self righteous wouldn't get it, you know, and and it was refreshing those who were looking forward that they basically they kind of like looked to the pagan gods saw like nothing there in desperation and then here comes the truth the here comes the gospel here comes jesus and how is he doing miracles but he's teaching with authority he's teaching as though someone who like excuse me um jewish leaders in that time would would recite what they believed it was based upon this rabbi like recite this big, huge, long of reason why they supported this rabbi's thinking. Whereas Jesus came along, and he said, "I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom." I mean, like, like the authority that he had just yeah. resonated. And I think, I think that happened. And then the people who didn't receive it, like um, Kyle mentioned the other night, the other recording, how. There was Demetrius, the silversmith, who saw his way of life jeopardized his common days. You know, like, hey, if if not only all these people throw away all their idols, 
not only am I out of work, but this temple that we revere over here is going to be left in ruin. So it's kind of like, we don't want that to happen. So there was that element to it as well. I mean, I think it was multilateral, and Robert can in that also a little bit. Yeah, and, um, you know, I would add the idea that, you know, as we look back on the past, that was actually the source of the idea of, hey, don't, let's not do this. Let, let's not make a martyr out of this, this person. This movement will explode. When when people say that now, because nobody would actually go through that tactic. If we kill them too quick, we're never going to crush the guy's followers. They're all going to be inspired. Look back on literally this. This is their precedent. This is the history that they've learned from if they choose not ah, to do okay. it. okay, yeah. Yeah, and so at the time, there was no precedent. They just saw them as cockroaches. Let's smoke out the room. They'll all be die- be dead. And I mean, that was literally the only thing they did for power was just elevate fear. They said if the, any that survive will see all the dead bodies and they will run away. They always run away. And all of a sudden, they had this group that just wouldn't stop. They kept coming. They kept coming. And one thing that they didn't anticipate was a belief that was so firmly built on the idea that death is nothing to fear. Live your life in confidence. Die in confidence. And of course, on the surface, that sounds like religious manipulation. You send them into this kamikaze frenzy. And there are some sociologists who have accused the early Christians of this. They, they think, well, they, they, you promised them bliss. You get to, you know, play a banjo on a roller coaster for all eternity if you go to heaven. <laughs> It's I just random, but <laughs> you know, if you convince people <laughs> to do it, <laughs> convince people to do this, it'll be awesome, and they just go for it. Doesn't make it true. That that has to put into account the very first generation, people who started this, gained absolutely nothing by stirring the people up. They elevated someone else who was already gone by all accounts. They got their fearlessness by the firm claim that this person had risen from the dead. They're not propelling themselves. They're not gaining wealth from other people. They're not gaining glory from other people. I mean, they're being whipped and counted as criminals. And it was that first generation that inspired the generation after that. It's way different than, you know, modern martyrdom. And the idea that if someone believes something and they're willing to die for it, and they are genuinely set up as a martyr. Now, what makes the apostles unique is not only did they believe it, but they're the only people in history. If this makes sense, I'll say it carefully. The apostles of Jesus Christ, the only people in all of history, were set up to know firsthand whether Christianity was a lie because the lie would have been theirs to own lie started with them they wrote fictional novel if it was fiction and they all died with nothing to gain because it's hard to gain a following if you know that you're going to reap the benefits in a thousand years but you won't be here to enjoy them (laughs) who's gonna who's just gonna jump off the cliff today (laughs) and did it they all did it it goes against every cult leader that's ever popped up in history because it's always something for them. They get the money, they get the sexual partners, they get the client, they they get the glory and the fame. And they usually send their followers to die in favor of them so they can sit back in safety in a bunker. And the apostles did everything the opposite way. Now the movement that they started with their own deaths can't be stopped. Of course to get back to the question, the Romans had no precedent for this. They didn't realize just how deep that knife had cut. When they tried to get rid of these Christians, tried to exterminate the Christians, first generation were willing to die just inspired the survivors all the more because it was their testimony. And when people saw them willing to die, they were willing to jump more into the story that they had claimed. So the whole thing started a slippery slope that Rome just couldn't hold in. Mm-hmm. It's pretty wild and fascinating to think. Just think about it. So I think back, and I mean, just hearing the heartbreak and the stories um, coming out of um, Afghanistan right now, um, after yeah. you know the U.S. pulled out of Afghanistan, 
and the Taliban kind of sw- uh, swept in, took over afterwards. Um, some of the stories you hear about the Christian church that was kind of starting to grow and I guess still is in kind of an underground capacity in Afghanistan uh, being raided by the Taliban and they're basically given the option um, either, you know, uh, reject Christianity or be killed and pretty much the church saying, well, kill us, you know, and refusing to reject Christ and that's just so powerful to think of that type of persecution and that that's still happening even today. Like in the mm-hmm. West, it's it's really hard to wrap our head around the fact that that could still be happening. But there are parts of the world where that absolutely is still happening on a grand scale, like on, on a large scale. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, there there's... um believe it's a website it's um uh souls of the martyr is that is that right Robert? oh uh, are you talking about voice of the martyrs voice of the martyrs oh yeah, yeah i'm sorry man voice oh, you're of fine. The martyrs. Yeah. yeah that is literally like modern day martyrs who are dying for their faith mm-hmm. um you know like kind of like what you're talking about there brian where people are dying yeah. for it. Oh, yeah, and the reality hits you. And for anyone listening out there, if you can Google Voice of the Martyrs, there is actually a free magazine you can subscribe to. And uh, reality really hits you just just leafing through the pictures because a lot of the faces in other nations are crossed out. They're blanked out simply to protect their identities because if a Voice of the Martyrs volunteer takes a picture identifies them as a believer in that neighborhood or village that they're in Voice of the martyrs could accidentally be the reason they get hunted down and killed because all of a sudden there's visual evidence that they're a believer and it's that they have to be that careful with these people and yet they're willing to you know stick their neck out uh, the volunteers i mean stick their neck out in order Mm -hmm. to see that these martyrs are comforted and discipled and even that evangelism can very carefully and steadily be disseminated around in these these areas but yeah martyrdom it, it's usually when we talk about it in the west it's always the horrified stories from so long ago they almost become christian fairy tales but i mean it happens today it's well, happening I mean, right now somewhere i mean there's that instance in columbine where the uh you know my goodness i can't remember their names i was i was in middle school when that happened and you know it was the girl who I think it was Rachel was her name. Yeah. Uh, might be wrong in that. You said Rachel? Was Rachel Scott. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, who was killed because she said, I believe in God. I mean, that was on U.S. soil within the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, and that's just what we know about. I mean, there's no telling what happens that's not publicized or what have you. But, um, I mean, there's one example in the United States <laughs> right there. But yeah, it's 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 crazy to think that that happens, you know, in Africa, North Africa, you know, um, Israel, maybe not Israel, but you know, various places across the world where martyrdom is still happening to this day. I mean, it's just in, in a way, it's it's kind of like what Robert said. It's like it's it's encouraging because you see brothers and sisters who are willing to die for their faith the same time it's like you know it's like do i have if my situation was reversed do i have that fortitude to be able to say you know yes i believe in god or yes i believe in jesus and don't kill me i don't want to die but i'm not going to reject him you know, like some of these martyrs were forced to either you know, you know to to uh to bow down to Caesar or not, and you know they they refused, and they're like, nope, not going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think from a Christian perspective, we all like to think that, you know, we would have that kind of faith and and that strong of faith, but until you're actually faced with that situation. Like, which I hope none of us are ever forced into that situation, but um, it's it's just wa- absolutely just wild to think about. 
Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it, it it's 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 terrifying. It's exciting. It's exciting in the sense that you know to 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 be. I want to tread carefully with the way I say it. It's like, and if and Christians will get it when I say this. It's like to be put a situation where God's allowed you to face this opposition and in that moment you know holding fast to the faith and saying no I, I, I believe you know is, would just be you know I'm trying to think of how to, how to word it such a way like that, that captures it it's like but it's also at the same time like Lord has entrusted you with this platform, I guess, and you have the opportunity to glorify the Lord even in your death mm-hmm. or to turn away. And for those out there who hear this, I mean, you know, there was a guy named Peter. You know, we we talked about the the people who <laughs> you know, who stand firm for the faith. And there were times where Peter did stand firm in his faith and, and did, you know, not to say crazy things, but things that he did draw a sword and attempt to defend Jesus in the, you know, when he was first arrested. Then also, whenever they, uh, some of the people started pointing out, saying, hey, you're a follower of Jesus. And he was like, no, I'm not. Trying to not get arrested, trying to not get, um, uh, basically put in prison potentially with Jesus. Um, and he denied Jesus three times. I mean, there's also in that there's encouragement because uh, Peter, even afterwards, you know, felt guilty for that. And, and what did Jesus do? Jesus lifted him up and said, hey, you're, you're going to be the leader of my church. And the first sermon that uh, Peter ever preached, thousands of people became believers. I mean, it's like I don't know how to how to even fathom have that, but at the same time, and have that freedom of being able to say, you know, no, you know, like you you didn't believe, or you not that you didn't believe, but you didn't want to face the consequences of that belief. But then later on, he actually was martyred for his belief in in Jesus. There in the beginning, when Jesus was first arrested, he denied that he knew who he was. And I think that just speaks to kind of go off topic a little bit, though. But I I was thinking, like, as we were talking about this, um, I was thinking of that exact same thing. You know, Peter famously or infamously denying Jesus three times um, and how kind of to, to your point how God used that and how, how, how that act was used. And when you see what that led to, it was almost like, I don't know that that was predestined. I don't know if you want to go that route, um, but how God can really use any situation, any decision that we make. He can turn around and use that for for his glory, and um, so that right there uh, should give everybody just immense hope as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's there's a there's a song, and I'm not going to even try singing it. I'm not going <laughs> to, but I will recite the words. You know, it's like even what the enemy means for evil, God turns it for our good. Mm-hmm. What what the uh, enemy tried to do to peter make him feel guilty for uh you know denying jesus three times i mean god took that and multiplied it and 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 maybe even because peter denied it and then god you know jesus restored him he was all that more zealous and devout to not falling away you know like not um uh, I'm trying to think of the word here to to be like the leader that he was called to be. Maybe that even is part of the reason why he was the leader he was because of that commentary 
of uh, uh, lack of belief or whatever, of fear, I guess you could say. And I mean, it, it also, and I think we talked about this, I think if I remember correctly, we may have talked about this on a previous episode, but kind of using that um, and juxtapose um, um, Judas of, you know, both Judas and Peter, they both denied Christ. And mm-hmm. where Judas chose in his guilt to turn away from Jesus, Peter and his guilt chose to turn towards Jesus. Judas got death and Peter ultimately got eternal life. That even mm-hmm. though they both they both failed in 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 their acknowledgement of Jesus, um, at least Peter repented and Peter never turned away. Um and I um, mean he did falter those 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 times, but in the end he ultimately always turned back towards Jesus and and that was that was the difference between him and, and Judas. Um right. so yeah, it's it's stuff in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, and that's the thing. I mean, we could talk about martyrs. I mean, there's so many volumes um, that that are out there that I mean that will bring encouragement, that will challenge. As, as a pastor, I uh, once knew would say, it will challenge your socks off. <laughs> it'll literally make you like like man this cat you know, he faced a lion or what have you and he didn't yield was devoured by wild animals or, or you know something it's like my goodness these people did this mm-hmm. all because all because some politician in the capital they were bigger than what they were, you know, in Rome, this, this, uh, uh, dictator, this, uh, Caesar thought that they were God themselves and said, nope, you must worship me. And because of that, people died because they refused to bow down. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're getting, uh, close to time here. Do either one of you want to land the plane with any final thoughts and uh we'll we'll wrap up this episode? <clears throat> yeah. Um <clears throat> Sorry, frog in my throat. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean one great final thought for us as we leave the podcast um now I I tend to to want to extend this to anyone listening, but especially to believers. Because um, there are parts of it that can only apply to believers. But um, as we live our lives, we're living the legacy of those who died for Christ. And in the moment they died for Christ, they also died for us so that we could live and know the truth. So as we look back on their lives, we have brothers and sisters galore that we will never meet until we get to heaven. But also can be martyrs with our lives in the way we live that's not to demean the way they literally died but as we live our lives uh, paul had that kind of in a way he had that same idea in scripture when he said to live is christ and of course you can focus on that last half to die is gain and that is absolutely true but he says in that phrase to live is christ to die is gain is if i live i will keep serving him so Paul actually was basically saying, I'm going to be a martyr either way. I'm either going to be a martyr in the way I'm living, or I'm going to be a martyr in the way I die. As we live our lives in the first world, praise God we don't have persecution right now. We always yeah. say that at the end of our sentences, right now, for now. But as we continue to live in this world, for those of us who don't see it right now, those of us who are blessed enough not to have that a part of our lives, we can be martyrs in the way we live. We can be martyrs when we decide to put Christ before ourselves, Christ's plans and priorities before our own hopes and dreams. And so just being able to know that your life can be spent for the glory of God, even if you live to be a ripe old age and pass away of 
of natural causes in a bed, you can be a martyr every single day and minute of your life. Because the real spirit of the martyrs is, come what may, Christ is king. And that's true in a dungeon, in a prison, or in a classroom full of people who don't believe what you believe. So Preach it, brother. Excellent. Take away for the day as we hit pause. And uh, what do we have uh, coming up on the next episode? Uh, I believe we're continuing uh, Martyrs a little bit longer. More yeah, Martyrs. We've still got excellent. some stories to tell. Yep. Yeah. All right. Excellent. We, we might tag in a little bit of history here and there. That's yeah. what we love to do. We're yes. nerdy. Yes. We're nerdy peeps. People. Well, the story themselves might not fill the whole hour. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody, uh, really appreciate everybody out there listening. Um, if you want to interact with us and learn more, visit us on our Facebook page, uh, Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. You can also visit us on our website, uh, theactpod.com. And uh, there you can uh, uh, interact with us as well, uh, get some more information, contact us. But uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from any of you out there. And uh, Zach, Robert, thanks again. Another great discussion. And uh, I guess we'll see you all on the next episode. Oh, yeah. Sounds like a plan, Stan. All right. Good one. You too. You too.